Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the book of Amos. We're studying really chapter by chapter beginning today through the book of Amos. Last week, I gave you an overview of the entire book. And Lord willing, this summer, week by week, we'll take a chapter a week. We saw last week that the theme of Amos is judgment. Though Amos was a simple farmer and shepherd, he left his home in the southern kingdom of Judah. He traveled northward to preach this message to the nation of Israel. And beginning in chapter 1, verse 3, and going through chapter 2, verse 3, we find his first in a series of sermons that he preached to the nations. And so let's read beginning now in verse 3, chapter 1. Amos says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazel, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. And I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. So the people of Aram will go exiled to Ker, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza and it will consume her citadels. I will also cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even unleash my power upon Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they delivered up an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. And so I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre and it will consume her citadels. And thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion, his anger also tore continually and he maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon Teman and it will consume the citadels of Basra. And thus says the Lord for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah and it will consume her citadels amid war cries on the day of battle and the storm on the day of the tempest. Their king will go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So I will send fire upon Moab and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth and Moab will die amid tumult with war cries and the sound of a trumpet. I also will cut off the judge from her midst and slay all her princes with him, says the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. I want to tell you at the beginning of this summer, this is a heavy, heavy, heavy book. It's not light. It's not soft. It's hard to hear. And there are going to be Sundays where we leave here with this burden upon us. But the truth is, one of the reasons I'm convinced we have so much problems in our evangelical churches is that we've been filled up with the light and the fluffy 
and that which has no substance. These chapters have substance. They are a warning to all nations that God hates and judges sin. And you'll find in those vignettes that I just read a pattern, a structure. First of all, Amos says, thus says the Lord. He wants everyone to know that this is not the opinion of a poor farmer from the south. He is speaking the very words of God. And so with that comes authority, with that comes power. Now there are those today who claim to speak for God. And if someone stops you in the hallway and said, God told me to tell you something, you reach for your wallet immediately, okay? And you'd be very hesitant to believe someone says that they're speaking for God. On the other hand, before you say, God told me to tell you something, you'd be very sure that he did. Because if someone says God told them something and it doesn't line up with what scripture has to say, guess who's wrong? <laughs> it's not the scripture, it's the person. We all need to be good Bereans as in the book of Acts who heard the preaching of Paul and compared what he had to say with the scripture and found it to be in alignment. Those who say they speak for God and don't are to be considered liars and false teachers. This is why your pastors in this church want all of you to be biblically literate, discerning, mature, so that you can run to truth and flee from error. And so he says, thus says the Lord. And then he says this, for three transgressions and for four. He's about to list their crimes. And when he says for three transgressions or four, don't take that literal. Don't, don't think that they only committed four sins. This is a way of saying I could go on and on. Here's three and here's four and I could go on all day long with their sins. In other words, God is not throwing a temper tantrum over one slip. This is a pattern of behavior and sin that's been going on generation after generation for these nations. And then he says the name of the nation. He starts out with Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, and Gaza, which is the capital of the Philistines, and Tyre, which is the capital of the Phoenicians. And so he wanted to know that it was not just general sins that he was about to punish. He saw their particular sins, and he was calling them and to count for it. And then he says, I will not remove their punishment. He's not warning them. He's saying it's too late for that. The opportunity has passed. The lion is roaring over his prey as we saw last week. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to send fire on your gates. That means I'm going to destroy your cities. And, and, and it was a great pronouncement of, of God's judgment. But that is the pattern. Now specifically, who are these nations. I, I mentioned the Syrians and the Philistines and the Phoenicians. Then there's the Edomites, the Ammonites, and, and the Moabites. There, there's a difference because the first three are pagans. They had nothing to do familially with the Jews. But the last three, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites were the kinfolks of the Israelites. The Edomites, for example, were the descendants of Esau from the book of Genesis. And the Moabites and the Ammonites were the descendants of Lot. And so here are people who knew the Israelites and yet they treated them with disdain. In fact, the specific sins that are laid out against these nations happen to be, for the most part, sins against Israel. Now before we get into these particular sins, I think a question is in order. How can God hold pagan nations accountable for their sins? 
After all, he did not give them a man like Moses to teach them. He did not carve his commandments in stone and say, thus says the Lord. They didn't have the prophets. How can God hold pagans accountable? Well, that's a very perceptive question and you're very wise to ask it. Let's look at the answer. It's found in the book of Romans. Turn to the New Testament book of Romans chapter one. He answers that question because You're not the first one to ask it. People have been asking it forever. And in Romans chapter one, Paul answers several questions. One of which is, how do we get in such a mess? You ever ask that question as you're watching the news? How in the world did we get where we are? Well, Paul answers that question beginning verse 18 of chapter one. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so they are without excuse. Paul says how we got in this situation is that mankind suppressed the truth. God revealed what he was like to them and they didn't care for it. Man does not like a God who holds them accountable for their personal sinfulness. And so man has created gods that he can better get along with. Yet that does not change the fact, he says, that every person is born inherently with an understanding of the nature of God. He says beyond that, he says he's written his law upon their hearts. Now where do you get that? Well, that's in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 11, here in Romans, he says, there's no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God but the doers of the law who will be justified for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law these not having the law are law unto themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness to their thoughts alternately accusing and else defending them. And so the key to understanding the book of Romans is chapter 2, verse 11, and it's also the key to understanding the book of Amos. And it says this, there is no partiality with God. He's talking about judgment. He's saying one day God's going to judge the Jews and the Gentiles, the pagans and those who had the law. Some of them have the law written on tablets, i.e. the Jews. All of us have God's law written where? Upon our hearts. And so the summation of that is we are all without excuse. Now, he judges all. God created all people, therefore he's sovereign over all people. Now the pagans didn't understand that. Their gods, little g, were very territorial and limited. They had the gods of the mountains and the gods of the ocean. They had the gods of the hills and the gods of the farmland. Our gods not like that. The Psalms say that our God sits on his throne in heavens. He does whatsoever he pleases. He's not limited in any way. He's omnipotent. He's the creator of all. He holds all people and all nations accountable. Now then, what are the specific sins, as we go back to Amos chapter 1, that God is about to judge concerning these pagan nations? By the way, we're not just studying this because of some morbid historical interest. All of these nations, by the way, have passed away from the face of the earth with the exception of maybe Syria, and it's been much diminished. That is, God's judgments happened. 
We can go back in history and see it. It happened just like he said it was. These great nations virtually wiped off the map. What were the sins they were guilty of? Well, let's begin in verse 3 with Syria. He says, for thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Why? Because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. Now, Gilead was a part of Israel. And it was captured by the Syrians 50 years earlier by a man by the name of Hazel. And history tells us that the Syrians were extremely, extremely wicked and violent and cruel to their captives. In fact, I think what we can imply is what happened is that they tortured their prisoners of war to death. How did they do it? He says, well, these implements of threshing. You know, this was an agrarian society, and so the farmers would cut their wheat off at the stalks. They would lay it out on um, the ground, and then they would take threshing instruments, which was just a sled with sharp rocks and shards and metal, anything that could cut that would separate the grain from the stalk. And implied is that these wicked Syrians used those threshing instruments designed to separate grain from stalk to kill people. They literally would lay these prisoners out and run these threshing machines over them. And the imagery is, is too awful to even think. How incredibly cruel. So God's saying that He's going to punish them for their cruelty to the nation of Israel. I have to tell you, and you know this to be true, that, that we have become a cruel nation. Just this past week, a man went into a nightclub in Orlando, Florida and killed 49 people, wounded many others. It said that he was laughing the entire time he was shooting. But it's not just the tr cruelty of the people who pull the trigger, it, it, it's those who comment on such stories. If you want to see how cruel our nation has become, read any story about personal tragedy that's online and then read the comments where any person can give their opinion about it. Or don't do that, probably, for edification. I made the mistake of reading some comments this week. You saw the little boy there in Orlando who was uh, killed by the alligator. And I read that story and I thought how, how tragic his parents must be devastated. And then I read the comments line. The first one said this, those parents are morons. He got what he deserved. Then someone said, that poor alligator, they, they killed him for doing what he did by instinct. In fact, there were three to one more comments showing compassion for the alligator than for the boy. I stopped reading and discuss with this comment, quote, I hope that kid was an illegal immigrant, end quote. We've become an incredibly cruel nation. God help us. God judges cruel nations. And the Philistines were no better than the Syrians when it came to cruelty. Look at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it to Edom. They were so cruel that uh, they were in the slave trade. They took entire cities and made slaves out of them and profited from it. How cruel can one be? And you say, well, at least we don't have that problem today. Yes, we do. Our own city here in Dallas-Fort Worth is, is rampant with prostitution and sex trafficking. One, city, one study tells us that at least 20 million adults and children are bought and sold worldwide today, every year, into sexual servitude. 
About two million children are exploited every year through this trade. And six in 10 people who are trafficked across national borders are done so for sexual exploitation. And 98% of those are women and children. God punishes cruelty. Secondly, God punishes disloyalty. Look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they delivered up to an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Now, now here's what had happened. They had signed a peace agreement with Israel back when David and Solomon were the kings and they enjoyed some good relations through those years, even as the temple was being built. But when King Hiram died, his descendants did not keep the covenants. God took notice of it. What does that have to do with our nation? Well, the University of Chicago has been studying marriage since 1972. Every year they do surveys about fidelity and infidelity within marriage. By the way, that is the, the most common covenant any of us will enter into when we stand before witnesses and we swear before these witnesses and to God that we will remain loyal and faithful to our spouse till death do we part. And they find that every year between 25 and 28% of marriages have infidelity issues. But here's the most shocking statistic from that study. 74% of men and 68% of women said they would cheat on their spouse if they knew they would not get caught. God judges the disloyal nation. God also judges the merciless. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion. His anger also tore continually as he maintained his fury forever. Remember Edom, the descendants of Esau, the cousin, the kin of the Jews showed no mercy to their family members. And it began all the way back in the wilderness wandering. Hold your place there in Amos and turn towards the front of your Bible to the book of Romans, oh, excuse me, to Numbers. And in Numbers uh, chapter 20, we find the story of when Moses was leading the freed slaves out of Egypt into the promised land and they came to the border of the Edomites. And all they wanted to do was just pass through on the king's highway. They weren't going to do anything. They weren't going to bother anybody. They just needed to pass through on their way to their homeland. And here's what happened. Numbers 20, verse 14. From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, you know all the hardships that have befallen us, that our fathers went down to Egypt and we stayed in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through the field nor through the vineyard. We will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left until we pass through your territory. Now that sounds like a reasonable request, right? Your cousin just wants to go across your land on the road. He's promised not to destroy any property. Verse 18, Edom, however, said to him, you shall not pass through us or I will come out with a sword against you. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, we, we will go by the highway and if our livestock drink any of your water, then we'll pay. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, you shall not pass through. 
And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. The Edomites were merciless to Israel, and God noticed it. God judges the merciless. For many years, our nation has been known for its compassion to the downtrodden. That seems to be shifting and, and changing. And what a tragedy. Just this morning, I read an article about a family who sold their 14-year-old daughter to a 51-year-old man to pay a debt. That was not in Sri Lanka. That was not in India. That was not in some third world country. That was in Pennsylvania in the United States of America. We have become a merciless and a brutal country. Fourthly, God judges the greedy. Verse 13, chapter 1, Amos. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. They ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead. When, when they went in to take the territory of Gilead from the Israelites, it was not enough that they defeated the soldiers and took the land. They didn't want that next generation to come back and take it from them. So they literally took the infants out of the wombs and, and killed them. That's what Herod was afraid of, remember, in the day of Jesus when he killed the boys two years and, and younger. The obvious comparison here is, is the abortion industry. Worldwide, we're told that between 40 and 50 million babies each year are aborted. That means 125,000 this very day. Now there's some good news. Abortion rates are down five to 7% in the last 10 years. I think in large part to the good works of the crisis pregnancy centers like the ones our church is supporting in the offering that you brought today. But here's the tragedy. Our nation, the greatest on earth, not only endorses abortion, it indirectly subsidizes it. And it's caused an attitude prevailing in our nation that people are objects to be used rather than made in the image of God. And if we say we're pro-life in this church, and we are, that means we must be pro-adoption and pro-fostering. And that's why we have those ministries that have begun in our church. But make no mistake, I called it an abortion industry because that is what it is. The American Center of Law and Justice estimates that over $1 billion of profit is made in that industry every year. God judges the greedy nation. Finally, chapter 2, God judges the vengeful. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. This is an amazing statement. The Moabites were so bloodthirsty and vengeful that when they pursued their enemies, the Edomites, they found that their leader, their king, had already died before they could get to them. They were so angry about that, they dug up his bones, desecrated his grave, and burned his skeleton to ashes. That's vengeful. If you want to talk about vengeful, did you know that in one city in the United States last year, the city of Chicago, there were 468 murders one year, more than one a day 
in a city here in the United States, almost all of them based on vengeance. Someone came into someone else's neighborhood without permission. They got shot. Their friends and family took revenge and that started a cycle back and forth until nearly half a thousand lay dead in the city streets in one year. God judges the nation that is vengeful. I told you this is heavy, and it is. What are we to take from this? Well, as God's people, the number one thing we could take is we need to pray for God's mercy upon our nation. I hear people say the political situation that we're in seems to be telling us that God's judgment is impending. And I used to think that. Here's what I think now. I think the political situation in our country tells us God's judgment is already here. We are facing it today. We need to pray for mercy. We don't need to pray for God's justice. If we get God's justice, none of us can stand. We, we need mercy. We need men and women of God who will stand in the gap and say, Lord, have mercy upon our nation. We, we need to understand the urgency with which the gospel message needs to be disseminated. Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your teammates need the gospel because one day every one of them is going to die according to Hebrews and, and be judged by God. And God judges sin. He, he judges not only vengeful nations and cruel nations, not only does he judge uh, th those people that are merciless and disloyal. He judges individuals with those same sins. In fact, our God is good, and He's so good that He cannot tolerate sin in any degree, and therefore He judges. Here's the good news. We have the key to the freedom of those people who face the judgment of God. We have the gospel. The gospel is that, that man is guilty and deserving of God's wrath but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe him in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to face the condemnation and the wrath of God. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the only hope for your neighbors, your family members, your friends. The only hope for this nation is the salvation made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And the message has an urgency today that it's never had before. May we be obe obedient to the Lord's command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and this is a heavy word today, and it's weighing upon us like a heavy coat. And yet, Lord, it's necessary because we all know it's the truth. Father, you hate cruelty and you hate mercilessness and you hate greediness and you hate vengeance and yet Lord we, we see that our nation is guilty in some measure of all of those and so Lord as God's people we, we, we ask for mercy and not judgment Father we pray you'd send revival and awakening we pray Father that it would begin right here in this very room that would spread to our city, our state, our nation, our world. And Lord, we don't want to see you judge our nation, though we deserve it. Lord, we, we, we want to see salvation. We want to see righteousness 
roll down as waves. Lord, would you do that, not for our sake, but for your name and your renown. We pray it through the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.